Hello, and welcome to the Betcha Sub Podcast. I'm Sammy Fishbein. I'm Brian Russell Smith. And for those of you who are just tuning in, the Betcha Sub Podcast is your weekly rundown of all the crazy shit that's happening in the news, explained by your two funniest friends, which is us. Yes, it is. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. Her name is Cassandra Frederic, and she's the New York State Director at the Drug Policy Alliance. And for this very special 420 episode, we are talking about drugs but not from the way we would normally talk about them from more of like a policy standpoint and bringing justice to the system. So let's get into it. Betches Media presents. I like beer. I don't know if you do. Okay. Do you like beer, Senator, or not? Uh, my party is going bet crazy. Ah! You're the pop- Alternative facts. Oh, goodness. The Betches Sup Podcast. America! Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Happy 420. Happy 420. <laughs> Even though you were just telling us that you yourself are not a weed smoker. Mm-hmm. I am not. Mm-hmm. Very you, impressive. Have you ever smoked pot? I've never smoked pot. Wow. It's a go. very um, controversial thing at yeah. DPA because I am kind of the person that's in charge of all the pot advocacy yeah. for New York. So <laughs> well, it's a good yeah. thing because I feel like it's sort of having that be the case takes away kind of an argument that I'm sure some people would make that people only care about stopping or changing drug policy so that they can like smoke more, which is not really what it's about. Yeah. But I also think it is about people advocate for the things that they like and they want. Mm-hmm. People do it all the time. They, people are advocating for like more bus stops. They're advocating for more coffee shops. They're advocating for things that affect them. So it's a yep. good thing. Right. So how did you get involved with uh, the DPA? By mistake, actually. Yeah. So I was in grad school and the grad program that I was in, I was supposed to have an internship. And I chose a different internship. It fell through. And then the school placed me at Drug Policy Alliance. So it's kind of like by happenstance. Yeah. How long have you been there? I've been at DPA for nine years now. Wow. And then that's when you became passionate about this, you know, these policies. So I think the things around drug policy are like justice, dealing with racism, dealing with access and all those issues I've been always pretty committed to. I think drugs, using drugs as a mechanism to get towards things around access and justice um, is new. So using drugs as an opportunity. But I think in general, a lot of the issues that I work on are things that I've been committed to for a while. So what are some of the major initiatives of the DPA? Yeah, so Drug Policy Alliance, we are a national organization and we really are focusing on how do we remove the criminal justice system from dealing with drug use and drug possession. So really just having a conversation like, we actually don't think that um, judges, cops, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, prosecutors should be dealing with something that could be a health issue for some people. So removing the criminal justice system and also expanding the idea around drugs. So giving people actual information about drugs so they can use and not die and or, you know, give them information about drugs so they can make decisions about whether they use or not, but also have conversations about the fact that there are a lot of people that use drugs and don't become addicted right like that drug use that most people that use drugs don't end up being addicted and we don't have any information or supports for those people and we use everything on the criminal justice system and so for us we're like how do we have a bigger broader nuanced conversation about drugs that's not based in fear but actually based in people's like bodily autonomy and like just information so let's say we do take the criminal justice system out and it becomes less a question of legal illegal 
what punishment do you deserve for possessing or using the drug? Um, what takes its place? Mm, yeah. So this is a big conversation. So for us, it's infrastructure. So like, how do we get people the access to healthcare that they need, right? So if, if more people are going to have access, then we want to make sure more people have information about drugs. People mm -hmm. can know where they can get access to it. Most people don't realize that the biggest treatment provider in the country is usually through the criminal justice system. That's just wrong. Yeah. Right? Like that you have to get in trouble to get help. <laughs> so it's like, how do we yeah. like increase access? And the other thing is a lot of people use drugs for many different reasons. The people that struggle with drugs are often struggling with things around like homelessness, miseducation, underemployment, and those things need to be helped as well. So I think it's a larger conversation about how do we create the container for people to make better choices. Right. I mean, this, I guess, is kind of a bigger picture issue about how people see things like drug use or homelessness or any of the things you mentioned. I think that often as liberal i like i look at those things and i'm like oh, i feel sorry for that person that's right and i feel i'm sorry that they're homeless there must have been a circumstance mm -hmm. that led them to be homeless and get into drugs drug use or to mm -hmm. be unable to hold a job but i think the i think that conservatives or people who are against these types of reforms actually look at those things as something not to feel empathetic about but something to be like you did that to yourself mm -hmm. it's your fault yeah. and you deserve to be punished because you put yourself in that position yeah. so how do you grapple as someone who works on these policies how do you grapple with people who just see things in a completely different frame of mind yeah i mean i would actually offer both the liberal and the conservative a different idea right so this idea that we should feel sorry for people that are homeless or sorry for people that use drugs or we think that um folks um it's their fault that they're homeless or their fault that they're struggling with addiction for me it's like let's take a bigger view of it and see what are the circumstances that got those people to those places, right? So that there's a structural thing that people are navigating. Um, and if we're not having the full conversation about the overall structure, then we're actually not having a conversation about what is being presented. And so people that use drugs and are struggling, they don't want people's like sympathy. They want people to like deal with mm -hmm. the issue that's at hand. And I think that's one of the uh, most amazing things about working on drug policy is that if you do drug policy right, then you're taking the the direction of people who actually use drugs both like recreationally and people that are struggling with drugs mm -hmm. speaking about just kind of the reg the recreational use and giving people access and education and you said lots of people use drugs and don't become addicted but there are definitely people who do that's right so how does does a system of education and i guess smart usage basically how does that deal with that issue that like some people just are genetically more prone to being addictive maybe they've had addiction in their family or maybe they just for whatever reason be do form an addiction to mm -hmm. drugs how does this how would the ideal system that that drug policy alliance would like to create how would it manage those issues and prevent people who are prone to addiction from be, un understanding that about themselves and prevent that one i would say i think we need more research about how addiction actually works because there is no like definitive idea about what would decide one person to be addicted for or the other and so mm -hmm. i think oftentimes because there's so much 
um, so many different opinions about that, policies are, are based on something that actually hasn't been proven, right? So some people think that you are genetically predisposed. Some people think it's more structural or environmental. And our policies are all stemming from these things. And so I think there's a lot more conversation to be had about how does addiction work. And people have different ideas. But I think to go to your point about drug policy lines, I think for us is really about giving people access to resources in general, whether that be housing, healthcare, education, but also recognizing that even people that struggle with drug use right now and are struggling with addiction information is actually the best thing that we can give them and new york city is a great example of that so for instance oftentimes you know we have dealt with or have really come through the hiv aids crisis here in new york right Mm -hmm. and one of the ways that we were able to really get a hold on that and be a shining example throughout the country is by giving people access to clean syringes Right. Right. And so New York has had clean syringes since the early 90s. And we've literally decimated the transmission of HIV AIDS among intravenous drug users. And that happens through education and giving people access to resources. So by giving people unused equipment and telling them, listen, do this. This is a safer way of injecting. Don't share. Don't do that. People that use drugs were actually able to decimate the HIV um, AIDS transmission among people that use drugs. That's education. Locking all those people up would actually Mm -hmm. not do that, right? And we know that locking people up is actually a risk factor for them contracting HIV AIDS through incarceration. And so that it it goes against what we think. um, But what we know is that education is always the better intervention in getting people to navigate stuff. And I say that as someone who went to Catholic school from first to 12th grade. And so my sex education was lacking. And 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 we know that sex education actually helps us. And so it's very much similar um, kind of strategies. Is rehabilitation a, a component of what you guys advocate for? I think what we advocate for is whatever the person wants. And so if there are people that want to stop using drugs, then we want you to have access to the resources so you can stop using drugs. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who wants to moderate your drug use, then we want you to have the resources to moderate your drug use. We think that autonomy and decision-making and self-determination and the dignity and agency of people who use drugs is important. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Do you um, approach certain drugs different ways and like the laws that you want to change for them? So I think oftentimes people ask us, like, do you guys believe in like soft and hard drugs, Mm -hmm. right? And for us, we think that in general, the criminal justice system should not be um, an issue for around drugs. We do have a position around regulation and legalization for cannabis, marijuana, Mm -hmm. and we have a position of removing criminal penalties for all other drugs. So not creating a regulatory system. And that is not that is a position that we're thinking through and having conversations about and trying to figure out like, okay, so what would these things mean? And I think based on different risk profiles for drugs, obviously, they need different um, structures. And I think those are the conversations. That's the conversation we want to have right now, yeah. as opposed to whether or not we build a wall or keep marijuana illegal. <laughs> <laughs> right. I do wonder why it did the criminal, the, I guess, drug system did like shape up to be this way. Like, why did it become that the criminal justice system is the mechanism for handling drug possess like anything to do with drugs well this is actually a great um segue because um this actually on 420 today um netflix is dropping a film called grass is greener and it's about um 
cannabis legalization and music and pop culture. And it actually does a really good job of laying out how the drug war got here and how the criminal justice system got into the business of drugs. It's actually directed by Fab Five Freddy. It drops today and you can watch it on Netflix. But it really explains this issue right here about how the drug, the criminal justice system got positioned in a place to be the one that dealt with drugs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that came from President Richard Nixon. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. he yeah. was great. So yeah. <laughs> glad we had him. It all starts making sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so everyone light up and watch that. Well, and like <laughs> Nancy Reagan too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So from Nixon to Reagan to the Bushes to mm-hmm. Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, you know, President Obama did some things and didn't do all the things, right? Yeah. right. And then Donald Trump is raising it up again. And so it's a lot of, it's very, <laughs> it's very cyclical. Well, it's also, it's like these um, laws affect certain communities more than others, mm-hmm. right? Um yeah, and so I think one of the things that you'll see um, in the film, but also if you look at any article about um, drug policy, is just the way that we've created drug laws based on the perception of who we thought the dominant user population was. Mm-hmm. And so. Who did they think? So all the drug laws are associated with a particular group of people. So the first drug laws in the United States were created against the Chinese migrants around opium. So they made opium illegal. Um, because it was associated with Chinese migrants who had just created the railroad. Mm -hmm. And they didn't even make all opium illegal. They just made smokable opium illegal because that was what was associated with Chinese folks, right? Chinese migrants. Marijuana, everywhere in the world calls it cannabis. In the United States, we call it marijuana because that's what Mexicans were calling it in the Southwest. Cocaine was made illegal because um, free black porters were using it to stay awake and take in the ships and they you they made cocaine but what about when the white investment bankers started using it nothing happened <laughs> i mean nothing happens to the white investment bankers that use coke now yeah, yeah. you know it's it's oh no shock yeah. that the entire system of drug punishment is tied up in Deep racism, racism, xenophobia, Mm -hmm. um, classism. It's like poor people. So like even like poor people, like they don't, you know, like look at methamphetamine laws and all those different things. You know, even the moment that we're in right now around the overdose crisis and opioids and prescription painkillers, like all these things. The reason why we are there's a marshalling of a national conversation on it is not because poor white people were dying. It's because white people with resources were dying. And so like this conversation is different. And so it's part of the reason why when we're, you know, while everyone's lighting up and having conversations those questions that you're asking about like how did the criminal justice system get so big why are different communities targeted different is super important because mm-hmm. it affects everyone yeah well the opioid crisis was caused by a rich white family so mm-hmm. we that, should do a whole episode on that yeah. on the Sackler family we'll, we'll let us know what you guys think <laughs> um, for our next drug policy conversation um, so let's talk about legalization of weed because yeah. that is potentially going to happen um it has happened in a lot of places obviously so how popular would you say legalizing weed is on a national level i think it's very popular we are definitely in a situation where the majority of americans think that we should legalize weed do you have a percentage like are we at 50 or are we at like 90 we're not at 90 (laughs) (laughs) we're like in the 60s yeah okay what is just for for people's understanding, what's the difference between decriminalizing marijuana mm-hmm. and legalizing marijuana? This is a great question. We get it often because I think, so one, decriminalization means that you remove criminal penalties associated with possession. So um, it gives 
law enforcement discretion to arrest you or not. It gives mm-hmm. them the option that they can, they can choose not to arrest you. It doesn't mean that they won't arrest you. It just means they can choose not to. It's, and it's decriminalized here in New York City? That's right. It's yeah. been decriminalized in New York for 42 years. Oh, wow. So since 1977, mm-hmm. they it has been it is not a criminal offense to have up to 25 grams in your private possession. However, if you are um, if marijuana is burning or if it is in plain view waving in the air like you just don't care, <laughs> like that is an arrestable misdemeanor. And in the last 20 years, nearly 800,000 people in New York have been arrested for marijuana possession and that is the top charge it's not marijuana and something else it's marijuana as the top charge how does that happen it happens because of policing so you're in a situation where especially in new york city where people were walking in the street cops stopped them never done that right (laughs) walking in the street cops stopped them and they asked them to turn out their pockets and if they have weed on them they arrest them even though that should be a ticket, that. right? Mm-hmm. Or they're... Um, wait, w- wait, why would they, if you're allowed to possess it, get... Oh, because they were smoking. No. I'm saying you're walking in the street and a police officer walks up to you and says, what's in your pocket? But why? If But I thought you're allowed to possess it. It doesn't matter. You're not allowed to be black in New York City. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wait, but isn't that... Like, isn't that just very clearly not... Is it entrapment? Yeah. And so one of the things that... Do they have to turn out their pockets in the first place? If well, if, if a police officer's them? in your face to asking you a question and you choose not to comply, you just increase your risk profile of getting hurt. So, so let me, let me yeah. break it down for you. So you're walking in the street. Not doing anything. Not doing not anything. Smoking not in smoking plain view. anything. Walking in the street and police officers walking around, cool. They come up to you and they say, hey... What are you doing? We're doing we're doing stops. You look like someone. We're doing stops. Just we're, ju- we're just walking around talking to people. And they go in your pocket. They pull out the weed. Now in your pocket is a $100 ticket. If they pull it out, it's, they're saying that it's marijuana in plain view. And they so can they made you. you put it in plain view. This is exactly what is hap- that happened in New York. And, and now you want to know why it's so true? Because NYPD released multiple operation orders clarifying their law to law enforcement because that's what they were doing. The conversation around stop and frisk that was happening here in New York in 2010 was all about the fact that law enforcement was just running up in communities. 90% of the stops were black and Latino yeah. and just like talking to them. And what is the, the point th- of that? So oftentimes what they say the point is is for us to focus on quality of life arrests. So like loitering, playing your music too loud, like because uh, essentially if we focus on the little stuff, we'll get to the big stuff. And what we found is that what it does is net widening and criminalize whole communities. Mm-hmm. So just you, you're that confused because it's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm that confused because like I always knew that there was like that there were, yeah. you know, kind of shady things like mm-hmm. this, but like how many people, how, how frequently would you say that happens? Like how many stories have you heard? Can you just too many to count? Yeah. So I'll tell you, I just told you in the last 20 years, li- nearly 800,000 people in New York got arrested for marijuana possession. In 2010, there were 50,384 people arrested for marijuana possession. The in seating, that way. In that, in that way. The seating capacity 
for Yankee Stadium if it is 50,287. So they were arresting more people for marijuana possession than could fit in a sold out Yankee Stadium. Was there a stadium. statistic of like the majority of the people, like what kind of demographic they were? Yes. Mm-hmm. So 86% of them were black and Latino, 70% under the age of 30, 52% between the ages of 16 and 22. What was so disproportionately people of color. Yeah. yeah. What was the other like 14%? random white people that <laughs> were white on the wrong day someone i was working with and we took a very similar commute to work has told me not here at an old job had told me that he had been stopped and frisked three times mm-hmm. and i was like me never <laughs> like, this hasn't happened yeah. yeah and the thing is if you look at the reports from like the nyclu which is mm-hmm. the new york chapter of the aclu you know, oftentimes they'd said that stop and first was to find guns, right? That's, That's what I thought it was. Yeah, but they never really found guns. And when they found guns, they were more likely to find guns on white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just like, like people have a lot to be afraid of. Yeah. So I think there's I think there's a fuller conversation. You know, when you guys ask around the criminal justice stuff, like our drug laws are based in criminalization and the criminalization of certain groups of people, and the statistics prove that. Okay, so New York mm-hmm. may legalize soon. How close are we? We are, so the thing about New York politics is you can be close on Monday and then far away from it on I think someone just told us on Monday that we're really close. So how close are we? It's now Thursday. (laughs) We are close, um, but we have a lot of work to do in the next two months. So Mm -hmm. literally yesterday, April 19th, we have two months to get it done. So June 19th is the last day in the legislative session. Governor Cuomo has says he wants to legalize. They tried to do it in the budget process, which would have happened by April 1st. It didn't go through. And now we have two months to get it done so we can legalize in 2019. What we need is for folks to reach out to their elected officials and tell them to get on the Marijuana Regulation Taxation Act. Mm-hmm. We need folks to call the governor and tell him this 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 can't go up in smoke. You actually have to deliver this. Yeah. You have, You can't just get the points for saying you want to legalize it. You actually have to do it. Guys, if you're ever going to call yes. your senator <laughs> right call now. Them now. Yes. Okay. So once, let's say it does become legalized. Mm-hmm. Is this on a, I just want to know, um, New York versus federal level. Mm-hmm. Is there a different like what like what are the what's the likelihood of it happening on a federal level? I think there is a strong likelihood of it happening on the federal level. A lot of people are focusing on it. Mm-hmm. I think what's important is that I think states need to set up the framework that's going to work for their state, which is why it's so important for states to move forward, continue the momentum of well, moving like forward. Similar to gay marriage. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it shouldn't be that hard. You just stop arresting people. <laughs> <laughs> you just stop. Well, it's not, it's really hard because people are still, they're still arresting people in places that it's legalized. So mm-hmm. remembering that legalizing weed is not going to legalize people of color. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, they got to find something. So, okay. The, so uh, with legalization, people. with legalization, do you, what is there a next step where people who have been thrown in jail for basically being forced to have open air marijuana is there a process that is going to come next yeah for overturning those convictions i feel like that's kind of like it, it has to go hand in hand well that's exactly right so in other states you know they work to legalize it and then they were like okay now we're gonna go back we're saying in new york that can't happen in new york you have to do everything at the same time i agree so we Don't have give to give them a chance no yeah no stopping so if we're gonna legalize the plant then we need to make sure that we resentence everyone that's currently incarcerated we need to seal everyone's records we need to make sure that you know folks don't realize that people can lose custody of their kids get kicked out of housing and get the kids not be able to have like access to 
loans, people get deported. We're like, all those things have to change in New York law mm -hmm. in order for that to move forward. The other thing we're saying is like, hey, by the way, you don't get to mess up people's I almost curse. You don't you get to curse. Oh, you don't get to fuck up people's lives mm -hmm. and then decide that you want to legalize it and then be okay. No, at yeah. this point we need to have a conversation about the that tax money going back to communities that have been disproportionately impacted by policing and criminalization of marijuana. And you guys the fact that John Boehner is um, making money on oh, weed yeah. now I after decades know. of criminalizing communities, we have to make sure that the industry reflects the people that have lost the most, right? So people should have, people from New York who have been criminalized should be able to get in the industry, which is not often the case in other places. The hypocrisy of John Boehner. Yeah, it's it pretty bad. It reminds me of the article, Brian just sent me an article unrelated uh -huh. to weed about this representative who was like, across the board anti-LGBT vote. Mm -hmm. The GOP congressman yes. from like Indiana. And yes. then he was spotted at Coachella making out with a guy. Uh -huh. yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. You're such a hypocrite. It is. It but should be a criminalized. I'll say his name. It's, it's uh, Aaron Shoke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not just hypocrite. It's, it's like you're a hypocrite, but it's also you're dangerous, right? Like you've yeah. literally ruined people's lives, cost people their lives, like criminalize all these groups of people. And now you just you get you just get to decide to stop. Like what does accountability look like for all the lives you've ruined? Mm -hmm. Hypocrisy in plain view. Yeah. Go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe uh, not that, yeah. but <laughs> probably not. So so basically it, it may this may go through in New York. Do you think it's likely that it'll go through, including those sort of like reforms? There's no way it will go through without those things. Really, the movement will not let it. Listen, okay. the the coalition, the Start Smart campaign that we work with, these are groups all around the state. But it's also the elected officials are pretty hip. Like we've now seen like over ten states do this, and we've we've we have the benefit of watching what everyone did right and what everyone did wrong. And so for us, we're very clear that it's not, this is not legalizing marijuana by any means necessary. We don't want marijuana legalization. We want marijuana justice. And there is a difference. Mm -hmm. That's actually a great way to say it. Marijuana justice, because marijuana legalization is just like, oh, yay, I can smoke now. Yeah. But like, have I been stopped before? Like, no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of, it's really not about that. That's no. not really like why it's a critical thing. Yeah. What makes it critical is the harm that's been done to exactly. people's lives through these laws and getting those overturned. So let's say weed gets legalized tomorrow. What are some tangible effects that like this would really have on our day to day life, like financially or on the government? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things that people would automatically see is a lot of people would hopefully stop getting arrested, which is huge. Um, you said that doesn't always happen. Well, it hasn't. It's not enough, right? So I think we need to have a larger conversation about policing reform and like how, like, why law enforcement is criminalizing certain communities. But it definitely has a dramatic effect. We know why. Yeah, well, yes. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of people would stop getting arrested. I think you you would also see um, with the revenues potential like investment in drug treatment and public education around um, drugs in general. Because I think the thing that everyone loses, not just people that struggle with drugs, but people that use drugs, um, adult use, like recreationally or experiment, is that you also don't have good drug education, right? So yeah. everyone's taking a risk. And 
And so like, how do we reinvest in like drug education? And then we have, have to have conversations about like new businesses, jobs that people can have, right? And communities that have been divested and overrun by criminalization will have new resources. Um, I think if we're talking about a place where we actually get marijuana justice, then we're figuring out how we can keep families together as opposed to the ways they've been torn apart because of marijuana or like how do we keep people in their homes? I mean, I think there's a lot we can gain and that's why we have to be very clear about what marijuana justice looks like. That's great. So it might work. What are some of the biggest obstacles to really bringing us to the place we want to be with this? Governor Cuomo. Oh, <laughs> well, did you know? Do you think that there was a difference when um, Cynthia Nixon challenged him in the primary? Did you see a swing in his deference towards marijuana legalization? I think a lot of people. I think that Cynthia Nixon running really gave the issue some prominence that mm -hmm. I think we've benefited from. I do have to say that Governor Cuomo has been paying attention to the marijuana issue for a while. So I've worked on the campaign from. A, for a long time and he knows about the arrests and he has made promises in the past about ending the arrests. he's in the he has never fulfilled the promise um which is why when you ask like what's the biggest impediment is like governor cuomo like will you actually put your capital where your talking points are will mm -hmm. you actually make sure that this gets done and that we don't get marijuana by any means necessary but that we actually get marijuana justice right it's also just like, why? Like, can you just do it? Like, you're so annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the big deal? There's just get this out of the way and then we can worry about other things. Yeah. And I mean, I just think that there are some people that really struggle with the idea that people should have choice. Mm -hmm. And I think there are, you know, and I think there they are. They wouldn't know what to do with it themselves. Right. And I also think that there are people that, you know, have real questions, but we do have real answers. And some things we don't have answers for yet, but it doesn't mean that the status quo is an is not is value neutral. Like the status quo is killing people, yeah. and so we actually have to do something as opposed inaction is what is leading to criminalization. Right. Well, this has been an incredible episode. <laughs> um, I feel like I learned so much, and there's just so much more to be done. Yeah. Um, I know you're not going to be celebrating per se. Listen, I will be celebrating because I am committed to people being able to make choices for themselves. I think 420 is a cultural, um, it's a cultural moment. And I think that I just hope that people realize that when you talk up that other people can't do it and there, and other people have a lot of risk associated mm -hmm. with doing it. So pay it forward that by making sure that marijuana justice actually happens for everyone. I feel that mm -hmm. I would love to do some sort of like study and see if there's like a personality or some sort of like inherent difference between people who are like anti who need the control to say like you can't do like you can't do drugs. You can't make abortion like choices for yourself. You can't get married if you're like this or this or this. You can't do all these things versus like I don't know my mentality towards all these things is just like whatever like, yeah. <laughs> like my, why does anyone care my question is are you hurting people no right cool <laughs> yeah right exactly like why do we need to villainize something that we don't understand be racist yeah. yeah exactly so thank you so much cassandra where can people find you follow the dpa where what can they do to get involved other than calling the governor all the time yes call him all the time um you can follow us at 
Drug Policy Org on Twitter. Um, you can follow uh, me at, um, at Cassandra underscore Fred. And then our campaign is called uh, Start Smart New York. If you Google that, you can find the campaign and you can sign up and get all kinds of information and action steps and things you can do. Cool. Great. Also, Cassandra's name spelled with a K. You like the Kardashians. Oof. I'm kidding. <laughs> That's what I've lived for. <laughs> I'm totally joking. The audience knows how I feel about the Kardashians. So I just had to say it. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Happy 420, everyone. Happy 420. Yeah. And until the end of democracy, I'm Sammy Fishbein. I'm Brian Smith. And this has been the Betcha Sub Podcast. Betches.